remain standing as we pause for a word of prayer. So if you would, with me, um, pause for prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music. And then the preaching of God's word from this text of Acts 17, 22 through 34. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity um, to worship you. We pray that you'd enlighten us, you'd open our eyes, that you would cause us to understand and to see from your truth who you are and what you have called us to do. We just praise you for your protection over us during the week, your keeping of us. We praise you for the healing of those who have been sick. We pray for continued healing for those who are sick now. We trust you. We count we count on you and we rely on you for our very life and so it's not too much for us to rely on you for our everyday keeping and health so we do pray that you would just bless and keep and strengthen uh, those who um, are suffering in any physical way we pray for this ministry Lord that you would continue it we are blessed and encouraged to hear of the different ministries and we pray Lord we first of all we thank you for the ministries that you have uh, prompted your people to, to be a part of and to be faithful and serve at. And we know, Lord, without, um, um, with, it, it is by your power that your people do what it is you've called us to do. And we give you worship, we give you praise and glory for that. We're thankful for those who commit themselves in those works and that ministry. And I pray, Lord, you'd encourage their heart, help them to understand and to know that their labor for you is not in vain. They may not see all of the fruit from it here. Um, in fact, they might see just a small portion, but I pray, Lord, that you'd, you'd encourage them to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work, and knowing that you reward <clears throat> that which is done for your glory. Jesus spoke that anybody who brings so much as a cold cup of water for one of your servants has a reward in heaven. So that shows that you reward all that's done in your name, even those who support those who work and do things in your name. So what, whatever our task is, how small it may seem or, 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 or of importance it might seem, we pray that we'll do it faithfully. We'll count that you reward that which is done for your glory. Hebrews tells us that's part of our faith, to, to know that you are and that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. So we want to be that, Lord, by faith. It is a faith work, and it causes us to be, uh, we need faith to, to endure and to keep up that diligence that you call for. I thank you for each one that, that has done that and is doing that and seeks to do that, and we pray your blessing on this work and this ministry. And so uh, we thank you for that. We pray that you open our, our minds to your word now. Um, cause us to reflect on your truth in ways that are fruitful for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, think about how this speaks and addresses this group of philosophers at Athens. He's saying... God is the creator of all things. He is the one and only God who created all things. You got all these other idols and these, these gods, they ain't made nothing. In fact, you made them. That's why they're sitting up on the pole and you bow down to them. You made them. 
But this is the God that made everything, so he is supreme overall. That point needs to be understood because of how strong it is biblically and how it addresses the need of people. People today want to say, well, you know, God, whether you call him Allah or Jehovah, it's all the same. No, it's not. This is the God who created all things. Secondly, his point is, is that this God who created all things is Lord over all of his creation. He's sovereign over his creation. The point he's making there is we have those two types of philosophies, the Epicurean philosophy that says, you know, uh, um, God is, is, he's not really involved in the affairs of man uh, he's just kind of stand offish and letting men do what they want to do. And it, the Epicurean philosophy was that men, when I say men, I mean mankind, ought to pursue as much pleasure as they could. And, and that, that's their chief means. He's saying, and, and the reason why they can say that is that because they looked at God as kind of looking the other way and not involved in his creation. But Paul's second point addresses that. No, he's Lord over his creation. He didn't just create it and leave it alone and say, y'all do as y'all please. He is Lord. He orders it. He commands it. He speaks to, to, to what it should do and what it should not do. He is actively involved in the affairs of mankind. He cares about your bedroom. He cares about your bank account. He cares about what it is uh, is on your credit card. He cares about your internet action. He cares about your day-to-day -day activity. And you can't serve him and ignore him in all those other areas because he's not that kind of God. He is sovereign and Lord of his creation. He didn't just create and leave it alone. He created it and he He's over, superintending over all that he has made. So those two points are the two points that he makes. Let's look at the specifics that he gets into. Verse 24, But God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's saying the creator is the creator, and he needs nothing from man. Solomon sought in the Old Testament to build a temple for God. When he dedicated that, one of the first things he said is, Lord, I know you don't, you don't need a temple built by me. You don't confine yourself to this space. You're way bigger than that. And so that spoke to, to, to both the Epicurean and the Stoics. The Stoics believed that God was just present in nature. You know, and, and you can worship God by worshiping the trees. You can, but, but, but look, he says, look, he is not just present in nature. He's commanding over all of his creation. And so he says here, he doesn't live in temples made by man. You can't make a dwelling place for God. All of his, all of heavens and all of earth is his dwelling place. He, he, he makes that known in Psalm 139. Where can I go to get away from your presence? If I run to the heavens, if I hide in the earth, I can't escape your presence. You are everywhere and present and sovereign 
everywhere. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, it says in verse 25. That's a huge thing as believers. We need to know. We ask you to participate. We ask you to get involved. But you need to know God don't need you. You get the privilege of joining with God in what he's doing. He doesn't need you. He can wipe us out and bring a whole nother group in that will complete his task. He doesn't need, he is not dependent on us. We, we have a philosophy today that says, you know, oh, God loves you, and he just longs to have you love him back. With the attitude that he needs your love and dependent on your love. No, you know what? God is in love with himself. You don't like the way that sounds because that sounds so weird. God had perfect communion. The triune God had perfect relationship and continue, and that is everlasting. He doesn't need mankind for anything. That if we understand that, it, it helps us understand more fully what grace is. He's included us for our sake, not his. He doesn't need us. He has graciously brought us into relationship with him to satisfy us, not him. He tells us, he proves how, where God stands and why it is that he is independent from his creation. In other words, he is, he is, he is, there is nothing that his creation gives to him. When, when, when God presented himself to Israel, to, to, to uh, Moses, Moses said, well, what should I say your name is? And he says, tell Israel that my name is I Am. What do you mean by I Am? Not just I was or I will be, but I Am. Okay? In other words, I am the ever-present all-sufficient one. And that, that's, that's the meaning in, in, in that name. God is all-sufficient. If he's all-sufficient, there is nothing that can be added to him that he doesn't already have. There, he has no need. We talk about thirsting for God. We have a desire. We have a need for God. But the reality is God is all-sufficient and doesn't need anything, including us or our worship or our praise. He doesn't need that. He's created everything that he needs, and he has, even before he created anything, all that he needs within himself. God wasn't lonely, so he made man. He didn't need anything. He exists totally sufficient in himself. So he says, the end of verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is the giver of life. He doesn't need it himself. He, he is the, the very essence of life itself. He goes on from there. It's something we need to know today. It's in verse 26. You know, we have Black History Month in February. And this, is, this has a, a, a pertinent a application to that. Verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. 
I know as a young man I used to ask, why did I grow up in the culture and in the heritage that I grew up in? Of course, I had no choice in that, right? None of us chose our parents. None of us chose us where we were born or under what culture we were born in. Guess who chose that for us? Whether you like it or not, God did. God made you who you are by his purpose. Now, I can get into male, female, and that and address that with our culture today. But I'm just talking about the cultural element of what my background is. God made me that way, specifically for his glory. It says this, he made from one man every nation of mankind. Now, this tells us that in his making, he created us in his image. He made from one man, and that's Adam, all of mankind. And so he put the variety and the color and the complexion in the people that he put it in for his glory and for his purpose. Just like he, like, like he just painted the flowers and said, I want this, this shade of purple and this one, this shade of red and this shade of yellow. And I just, boom, there it is. He <laughs> He's the potter. He makes the clay as he pleases. He has made the nations as he pleases. One of the things I love to do um, in, in every office I have, whether it's in my office here at the church, my office at home, or my office at school, I have a globe or sometimes several globes because I keep in mind, I, I, I look at what's happening uh, in our world. And I want to identify the countries, and, and now we know what's going on with, with Russia and the Ukraine and, and with China. And, and, and I look at those things, and, and I try to keep in perspective where they are. But here's the perspective. God made them, and he set the boundaries. You know, you kind of have to update the globe every, every once in a while because some political boundaries are changing, just like Russia wants to take over Ukraine and change that and just envelop it into Russia. Look. But guess what? God determined the boundaries. God determined the nations. God determines the cultures, the people groups. And he set them and put the borders and boundaries where he desired. Now, he didn't just do that and let it go as he pleases. He's still in control of that. In other words, guess what? If Russia grows too big, God will step in and say, ah. No, not a step further. Now, he might use America. He might use other nations. He might use the nations of NATO. He, he is free to do that. But he sets those boundaries. We had to battle with that as a nation in World War I and World War II. And we had, we had nations across the world battling for dominance. We still have that battling for dominance. But sometimes we, we, we think as Americans, that ain't none of our business. We ought not to be doing that. We ought not to get involved in that. God sets the boundaries and he moves people and kingdoms and nations for his glory. Just re read the book of Daniel. We read uh, um, one, I think it was 4th of July one, one year. We had read Daniel chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar kind of got hot-headed. He, he, he thought he was all that because God had placed him in a high position. He was, he was the one who was ruler over the greatest nation on the world at his time. But then God had to humble them and put them in place. And he, he, he lived like a beast for several, several months or years until God uh, humbled him. And then he recognized God is the sovereign one 
over all the world and sets the nations as he desires. He sets up. I, I know, you know, just this just Tuesday I went to the voting booth and I voted in the, in the mayoral election and I hope you voted too. Uh, and we have a say in that. But it's God who ultimately sets those things and uses. And is, in other words, no matter how you and I uh, interact, God is still in control. That I want to tell you, that, that gives me great sense of peace. Because I see a lot of nonsense going on. And as I pray to God, I say, God, I'm thankful that this world is still in your hands. The old song that we sang as kids, he's got the whole world in his hand. He still does. And he still controls every bit of it. There's not a nation, kingdom, or faith that is out of his control. That they think they can go and do what they want, and as they please, God can crush them. He also exalts. If you read the Old Testament, you realize when God's people sinned against him, God brought up wicked nations to dominance to, to bring judgment on his people for reasons. God's just showing he's still in control. He is still in control. So it says this, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined <clears throat> allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You study world history, you'll see that there were different nations that had prominence and dominance over the world at that time, and that, that they, they had rise and fall. And you can see that going on now until this day. It's America that has its greatest influence on, on the world today. But America can rise and fall. And God is in control of all of those things according to his purpose and his plan. That knowledge lets me sleep at night. You know, we had a whole culture that's saying, well, you know, we got to control things because what if one of these crazy nations pushes the button? And a bomb goes off and, and destroys the whole earth. Yes, God has given us a, 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 a responsibility, just like you have responsibility in your home and in your neighborhood to keep the peace and, 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 and to quiet things and, and to, to, to get some control over things where you can. But we do that knowing that God is ultimately in control. He has set the nations and their boundaries as he pleases. Christians, yes, watch the news, but sleep at night, <laughs> trusting in God. Sleep at night, resting in God. We're in his hands. So Paul was preaching um, to, to a nation that had had dominance over the world, and he's basically telling those folks, look, you think you all that, but it ain't you. It's God. God is in control of this. And what is his desire? It says, having determined the allotted periods, that's the time frame. God controls history. He controls the nations and their movements within history, including 2022, right now, the boundaries of their dwelling place. I talked about that with Russia and, 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 and the Ukraine and, and China and, and, and uh, um, uh, what is it? Um, 
Taiwan and, and, and King, and, I shouldn't say King Kong, Hong Kong. <laughs> Hong Kong, that's where King Kong came from, right? <laughs> now you're mixing, you know, movies and fiction with reality and history. Uh, but it, it is God who controls those things even today. What is his purpose in doing this? Verse 27, that they should seek God. God may be using Russia to cause so much fear in the Ukraine that those in Ukraine seek God. He did that through the history in the Old Testament. You see, you, you can see as in Isaiah 37 where um, Hezekiah was in so much fear of the nations around him. The other kings wanted to, to uh, other kings of Israel wanted to have alliances with Egypt and alliances with other nations so that they could have support and fight against the, these wicked kingdoms. But God reminds them constantly, I am the one in control. Trust me. Align with me. Come back to me. His purpose is that they should seek God. You know, for my purpose, I hate to see inflation rising. I have some plans and some things I like to have, and now it just blows it all away because inflation is, is, is just rising so much. But besides what I would like to see, and my own personal benefit, God is doing something perhaps to make people squirm that they might seek him. COVID. Perhaps God is using in that same way that people might begin to seek him and trust in him. There's, there's things that come and we realize we have no control in this. We think we can get masks. We think we can, we can get uh, 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 some, some uh, uh, drug or, or some uh, treatment that will make us, you know, immune and, and nothing will happen to us. It will just make us uh, give a bubble around us. No, our bubble is God. Amen. Our bubble is God. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do things that make good medical sense for you. You, you, you ought to make good decisions. But ultimately, my trust is in God. Therefore, I do not fear circumstances. I trust in God. God is doing things that men, that nations, that people might come to trust him. So if you're speaking to friends, if you're speaking to people that you go to work with, don't, don't just tell them, you know, you ought to save your money so that you can you can get through this financial uh, 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 drama that we're going to go through or that you ought to store away food so you can get through this political drama that you ought to go through uh, that we're going to go. That's just, part, that's just part of a solution and, and maybe not even a wise solution at that. Tell them the real solution. You ought to align yourself with the God who is in control of all things and come and trust him and serve him. Now, be careful. Don't tell him you do that and all will go well. That's not what it's about, all going well. He will be in control. He will bless. He will keep you. You might have to go through some mess, but you go through that mess knowing God's got you. You're in his hand. 
That's what real peace means. It's not taking away all your bad circumstances, but putting you in the middle of whatever mess you're in, knowing that you're in God's hands and he's got you. Then it says this. He wants, God, he wants people to seek him. Perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. <laughs> That's an interesting analogy. It's like we're groping in the dark, right? We're blind and we're trying to and we're reaching out for God. But that's what people are doing. Are you giving them the right answer? Are you speaking truth to them so that they will actually find the real solution? Not just get a new job, trust in Christ. Trust in him. And this is what he says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. <laughs> God is saying, look, the God who created and is sovereign over all his creation actually wants relationship with his people. It's not so much a mystery. He's not really that far from any of us. Isn't that good news? God, God is not like just remote and hiding and aloft and hard to get to. Not really. Paul simplifies it. He's really not that far off. He's really not. In other words, God wants relationship with us, and he makes that possible. How does he make it possible? Well, Paul appeals to some of their own poets and philosophers, and he says this, in him we live and move and have our being. He's saying even in your own philosophy, philosophers recognize this truth. That is God that supplies us life and, 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 and even motivation. We are indeed his offspring was another phrase from one of the poets of, the, of his day. Poets that weren't even believers in, in Christ. But they understood some truth. We are indeed God's offspring. That's an amazing thought. <laughs> that mankind is made in the image of God. So yeah, you can't throw out all the evolution. That's nonsense. That's garbage. Stop going down that path. Start with what the Word of God says. We are His offspring. How, how encouraging that is. Our descendants weren't apes. They weren't monkeys. They weren't caterpillars or bats. They weren't any of those species. I'm made from God. I am from his offspring, and so are you. And you can't change that, <laughs> and neither can I. In other words, it ain't up to you. God made us a certain way. He says we aren't, we aren't far from him. And then he makes the point. Since we're God's offspring, like father, like son, like parent, like child, if we're made in his image, that says something about I mean, even remotely, that says something about God. We have extreme intelligence, creativity, and the ability to solve problems and to work things out. We, why do we have that? Because God is the supreme intelligent one, creative one, the one who ultimately solves problems and works things out. So Paul is saying, stop thinking God is like the dumb idol that you made. How, he says, I'm surprised at you, Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. You have so much knowledge, but then you think God is a tree. 
a rotted piece of wood with some gold attached to it. And now you got a fancier God because yours got some silver on it. He says, this is nonsense. God put up with this mess for long enough. That's what he says. He says, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed uh, by, <clears throat> by the art and imagination of man. Wait a minute. We made in the image of God. We don't create God. But that's exactly what idols do. I know today we think we're above idols. And we haven't made any wooden or man-made gods. But we have made gods of our own liking. Each person in each religion is saying, my God is like this. And he thinks this way. And I can come to him this way. And we go, where did you get that from? I made it up. <laughs> or I got it from somebody else who made it up. Either you're going to understand about God through speculation or through revelation. Speculation means that you and I put our heads together and we come up with a God. This is what God is and this is what he does. And it's just as dumb as wooden idols because it's not who God is. Revelation is this God, the unknown God that these people did not know, is the creator and he's sovereign over his whole world. Guess what? He communicated that to his, the people that he made in his image. How did he communicate that? It's through his word. You ever wonder why people hate the Bible? They hate when you quote the Bible. When you rely on the Bible as the truth, well, that ain't true. Why are you so angry, man? I didn't make this stuff up. I mean, it'd be one thing if I, if I said, thus says Brian. You know, Brian shall have all money, and you shall have none. And Brian shall have a hundred wives, and you shall have none. And all shall serve Brian and love Brian and worship Brian. And bow down to Brian. They act like we're doing this. No, this is what God has written. Their reaction to it just proves it's from God. By how they hate, reject, and put down and want to have nothing to do. I was watching the news uh, just this week, and, and, and I think it was a woman in, 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 um, in England or, or somewhere in Europe um, who was being prosecuted because she referred to the Bible. She had the Bible as her reference and has, as her main point in saying something. And people hated that much, that so much. She was actually um, um, a part of a political um, um, responsibility. But they did, hey, you can't quote from Scripture. You can quote from anything else. You can say anything else you want to say. But can you quote from Scripture or say something dogmatically, thus saith the Lord? That's why I hate it. Because we hate all authority because we hate what God has said. Let me continue on and finish up. This God that you don't know is the creator and he's sovereign. And he's holding man accountable. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God 
is going to judge sin, and he's calling us and everyone to repentance. Paul is getting to his specific point, and when he gets to that point, it's like he doesn't even get a chance to close his address. It just explodes. People can agree with you and agree with you, but then you talk about Jesus, and it's just, oh, no, man, I was cool until you got to that point. He says, he has fixed, this verse 31, he being God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Even Christian, people who call themselves Christians, are moving away from this point that we can't escape, that God is a God of grace. Yes, he's also a God of judgment. He is going to judge this world. It says he's fixed a day. The God who is created, who is sovereign over all of his creation, who is sovereign over the people, the people groups, their time and history and their place on this planet, has fixed a day when he says, I've had enough. And he's fixed a person who's going to judge that. The day we don't know. The person he has made clear. That person is Jesus Christ. Paul goes to tell why we know it's that person. It's because this God who's sovereign, who's created, who's sovereign of all his creation, has said yes to this person. That's why Jesus is not, on, nobody is on par with who Jesus is. No other religion can challenge him. He is unique. We are right to say he is the only way because God himself has said this. Psalm 2, I think it's verse 11 or 12, says, Kiss the son lest he be angry. God the Father is saying, You're going to respect my son because that's the one I am bringing judgment to all the world through. Read Revelation. You'll see that is in fact clear. He's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. A man that is already appointed, not going to be. It's clear in God's plan. This man is who? Well, he says, of this he's given assurance to us by raising him from the dead. Only know one man whom God has raised from the dead as he has appointed him to be judge of all the earth. That man is Jesus. Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus' answer was, you, you said it so. You, in other words, you got that right. You have got that right. Pilate, of course, was amazed that this, would, this question would be answered that way. And so, How can you then be a king when I have the power to end your rule? Jesus said, you ain't got no power. <laughs> You only got power that has been handed to you. He had said earlier, I have power to give my life, and I have power to take it back. This power I have from God. Jesus shows that he is the one that's been appointed by God because God has raised him from the dead and has declared him to be who he says he is, and that is the judge of all the earth. 
the Savior of mankind and those who come to him, that is this Jesus. That message comes to us today. To acknowledge God as the creator, the one who deserves our worship, the one who is sovereign, who is working presently in his creation, who has appointed a judge over his creation. And that judge is indeed Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to this judge, Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you'd impress it on our hearts in such a way that we would come and trust and bow down and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We might indeed find life through him, eternal life, as you have promised. We thank you for all those who have done that and all who will do that. We pray that some even today might turn to trust in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.